five, four, three, two, one. Energized Mixed Martial Arts Podcast is back. It's your boy Roscoe. He's got all the latest MMA news for you and all his and Barry's opinions on what has gone down over the last week in Mixed Martial Arts. So, if you are new to the Energized Podcast, you are more than welcome. If you are a returning Energized listener, you know how we do. P.S. Thanks for listening. This week's episode will consist of... We're going to talk a bit about Michael Bisbing as career as he announced his retirement this week. Fitting that Bisbing announced his retirement this week, the UFC middleweight title is being defended at UFC 225. We are going to break that down. We're going to go back and look at UFC Utica and look at which is UFC New York, for those who don't know what Utica is. We discussed last week, we're going to look at the results and what the results mean for each of the fighters. And then we're going to discuss other news, like Yair Rodriguez is back in the UFC, um, a a lightweight tournament in the UFC, and (coughs) various other aspects of the news. So I'm going to start off with the man of the hour, the Count Michael Bisbing. Bisbing's career dates 12 years back in the UFC all the way to 2006. So for anyone to be in the octagon for over 12 years is an absolutely incredible feat. He actually holds the records for most fights in the UFC and most wins in the UFC. And also holds the record for most amounts of strikes landed in the UFC. So the count, he's a bit of a legend. So... It started off for him in 2006 winning the Ultimate Fighter. It was actually the Ultimate Fighter 3. I think at the moment the Ultimate Fighter undefeated season is season 27. So 24 seasons ago, Michael Bisping actually went on and won the Ultimate Fighter at light heavyweight. So he then went on and became the UFC middleweight champion at UFC 199, which is incredible to think because I was discussing his career with Barry. Um, we were saying that at UFC 100, possibly his most famous famed career moment, even more famous than him winning the belt, was when Dan Henderson knocked him out at UFC 100. Dan Henderson made it his logo and became one of the most iconic moments in UFC history. To think that 99 pay-per-views later, he would then beat Luke Rockhold, who'd already beaten him previously in the first round by knockout, is absolutely incredible to think. Michael Bisping has fought the best of the best his entire career. And <coughs> you know what? It's quite strange because you look at Bisping's skill set. He wasn't a knockout artist. He wasn't a particularly good wrestler. I don't think he has any, any submission wins on his career. So to think that he was never actually... Brilliant at any aspect. He was just always willing to take a fight. Always willing to take his opportunity. Never said no. He was the ultimate company man for UFC. And it was crazy to think at one stage that Dan Hardy had an ch- opportunity to become the first UFC champion come from Britain. And then Bisping actually did do it when he won the belt in UFC 199. And he's the only British champion that the UFC has ever seen. So me and Barry actually... Asked people what their favorite moment was, and a lot of people did say UFC 199 
Uh, some people said UFC 100 when he lost. Other people said the Ultimate Fighter finale when he won that as well. But his career was ne- didn't really have one defining moment. And sometimes his career was actually defined as much by his losses as there were by his victories. Because if you actually look at the list of people he lost to, there's some like serious asterisks around those people. Um, if you look at Chael Sonnen, he was the absolute king of the PEDs. Uh, Dan Henderson, he was on TRT when he... Well, I don't know what he was at UFC 100, but he took TRT after that anyway. Vanderlei Silva, definitely TRT guy as well. TRT, Vitor Belfort, defined TRT. Uh, <coughs> one of his other losses, Luke Rockhold, he went and avenged that loss afterwards. He doesn't really have much to say about the Tim Kennedy loss. And then his last few losses, GSP, possibly the GOAT, and then Kelvin Gastelum fighting him, what, three weeks later. So... Look, Bisping, absolutely incredible career. And he has a lot going for himself, in fairness. Yeah, he got the eye injury after the Vitor Belfort fight. He fought, I think, 10 times after that. So that's extraordinarily impressive in itself. He has Hollywood career going for himself. He's doing a bit of acting. He's on the Fox desk on UFC tonight. He doesn't really need to fight again. He doesn't need that money to fight again. He should be very well off at this stage. Um, he seems to be a very good husband and father. His family seemed to all gel very well together, especially when you see them on UFC Embedded. So, <coughs> what can you say? Michael Bisbing, thanks for the memories, bud, and all the best in your tournament. You won't be leaving our screens anytime soon anyway. And that is now going to lose on to UFC New York or UFC Utica or whatever you want to call it. Um, let's be honest, no one was overly pumped for this event. The standard of the car was fairly, fairly poor. And until you got to the main card, lots and lots of decisions, really. But I'm going to start you off in the prelims because <coughs> I actually hyped up two people before the card last week. And they both actually won. However, two completely different wins. Uh, Jose Torres, who fought Jared Brooks at uh, Flyweight, I actually looked into Jose Torres after the fight and he cut 50 pounds, or sorry, he cut down from over 150 pounds to 125 pounds to make the way for the fight. And he actually won, but it was definitely one of the weirdest finishes I've ever seen. Jared Brooks picked up Torres, slammed him, but hit his head on the slam the way down and basically knocked himself out. It was It was extremely strange and very hard to tell who the better fighter actually was. Then he had Nathaniel Wood from the UK. Uh, he beat Johnny Eduardo uh, by a Bravo choke in the second round. It looked more like a darst to me, but I don't know, I'm not a jiu-jitsu wizard, so it was hard to tell. But great win for him, and he looks like a hot prospect, considering his nickname is The Prospect. He looks very, very good. David Taymor beat Nick Lentz uh, in a lightweight bout, and he actually called out... Justin Gaethje after the fight, so that'd be interesting if they put that together because they're both very good on the feet. And Zyra Eubanks, who I also mentioned on last week's podcast, (coughs) excuse me, did call out the winner of Shushenko versus Montana, like I said she would. Um, Sam Alvey got a split division win over Jan Vellante. He called out Corey Anderson afterwards, but then he apologised for calling out Corey Anderson because Corey Anderson currently has someone sick in hospital, which I don't think it was necessary to apologise by Sam Alvey. But he did anyway. Uh, ben Saunders had a great uh, 
needs the body on Jake Allenberger, KO win. So it looks like Jake Allenberger is going to be now cut. Ben Saunders will move forward. Walt Harris got another win in the heavyweight division against Daniel Spitz. Fantastic win for Walt Harris. And Gregor Gillespie looked incredible against Vince Bichel. Um, I would not be surprised if Gregor Gillespie gets someone ranked in that top 15, 20. Um, UFC looks like they're really going to push him as well. He's got the look. He's got the skills. And then moving on to the main event. Um, Marlon Marais versus Jimmy Rivera. I really, really did not expect this whatsoever. If you asked me to put my Freud prediction on the line, I actually would have said Jimmy Rivera by decision. 33 seconds into the first round, Marlon Marais hits a switch kick to the head and Jimmy Rivera goes down like a ton of bricks. Marlon Marais got in there like there was no tomorrow and got the finish. What a performance. Marlon Marais is after coming over from World Series of Fighting and he looks absolutely phenomenal. (coughs) He's after having two Highlight real KOs in a row between this one and his win over Aljamain Sterling. I'm not going to lie. I'd happily see Marlon Marais sit out and fight the winner of TJ Dillashaw versus Cody Garbrandt. But I don't think they're going to do that. I think he's going to have to fight one more time. So I'd like to see Marlon Marais against Dominic Cruz on the UFC 227 card. And the winner of that would then go on and fight the winner of Cody Garbrandt versus TJ Dillashaw. (coughs) And that sort of sums it up for UFC Utica. I don't know where Jimmy Rivera is going to go from here. But I'm sure he'll probably fight a John Lineker or so. Before I move on to UFC 225, which I personally think is the best card of the year so far. I'm going to talk a bit about the... Lightweight tournament that was sort of said to be setting up by the UFC. Apparently UFC were going to set up a lightweight tournament with Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Conor McGregor and GSP versus Nate Diaz. And then the winners would then fight each other. I think GSP turned down Diaz and I'm not really too sure whether this was prior to New York or post-New York, Conor McGregor throwing stuff at the bus. <coughs> so I was probably just give my thoughts on the tournament. Realistically, everyone's going to give their opinion on whether McGregor can beat Khabib, or Khabib can beat McGregor. Personally, I could see the fight going either way. Obviously, if Khabib can take McGregor down at will, he's easy, just going to smash him out. But McGregor's striking is by far the best in the lightweight division, and you could easily knock Khabib out within... 13 seconds, some might even say. Then you have... That, that one's sort of up in the air. And then you have GSP fighting against Nate Diaz. And there's only one real winner there. GSP is going to get his hand raised at the end of the day. He's already beaten um, Nate's older brother, Nick Diaz, who is a better fighter. Um, <coughs> as much as a lot of people like to say, oh, they're very similar. They do have a lot of similarities, but they're not the exact same fighter. Um, Nick is more, more willing to actually use his um, jiu-jitsu, and he also pushes the much higher pace. Also, if someone comes forward at Nick Diaz, he doesn't mind, he'll stand and trade. If you actually sort of chomp Nate Diaz down a bit on the legs, he won't like that. But George, 100%, 
be able to take him down, get control, get the job done. I'm convinced George St. Pierre would beat Nick Diaz. Or, sorry, Nate Diaz. Um, also be far larger than him as well in terms of actual size. And then the winners will face each other. So it was almost like a GSP sweepstakes between McGregor and Khabib. So do I think it was in play? Potentially. But I don't think it was ever actually a tournament format. I think it was just you go for him, you go for him, and then the pair of winning together. I don't think UFC was ever going to put it out as a tournament. <coughs> so let us know what you think about that on the latest posts. Because in fairness, if UFC did manage to pull that off, it probably would be the largest tournament in UFC history in terms of people actually talking about it. Let's get the show on the road. I move on to UFC 225. Now, this card cannot be missed for mixed martial arts fans. It is stacked from head to toe. So we're going to get straight into it. First up, we have the carpenter, Clay Guida, fighting Charles Oliveira. Um, Clay Guida won his last fight by knockout. He hit Joe Lozon with a vicious elbow and finished him off. And Charles Oliveira lost his last fight to Paul Felder. So I'm going to go with Clay Guida. <coughs> I think he's a wily veteran. Charles Oliveira likes to sort of catch people with obscure submissions. I don't think he'll get Guida with one. And Barry also thinks the same. So team energized are picking Clay Guida. Next up is our mate, me and Barry's mate, Joseph Benavidez. He's fighting Sergio Pettis. In a flyweight contest. Now if Joseph Benavidez wins. He could be fighting Demetrius Johnson again. It's completely up in the air. It's definitely not implausible. Um, very good reason to pick Joseph Benavidez. Is his last win was a win over Henry Cejudo. Sergio Pettis' last fight was a loss against Henry Cejudo. Now MMA math doesn't always work out. But I'm going to pick our boy. That loyalty life. To Joseph Benavidez, our mate. Then you have Rashad Evans, former UFC light heavyweight champion, going up against Anthony Smith, making his UFC light heavyweight debut. He lost the last fight Anthony Smith did to Thiago Santos, who's a vicious striker. But Rashad Evans has lost his last four, and I think he's about to lose his fifth and his return to light heavyweight. Anthony Smith is young, he's hungry, he's the lion. And I just don't see Evans getting the job done. Barry does think Rashad Evans is going to get the job done. So maybe if you want to side with Barry, fair enough. If you want to side with me, all the better. Then you have Ricardo Lamas fighting in the featherweight division. He's coming up against Mirza Bektic. <coughs> now, you might remember Ricardo Lamas lost his last fight to Josh Emmett. He missed weight quite badly. Um, it was a first round knockout. And Marcel Bechtich actually won his last fight against uh, Godfrey Pepe. <coughs> he hit him with a body shot. Excuse me, I have a very bad cough at the moment. He lost his last fight to God, uh, Godfrey Pepe, who's a Ultimate Fighter Brazil winner, I think. I could be wrong with that. I'm terrible at knowing the winners of the Ultimate Fighter Brazil. Uh, but he lost his fight previous uh, to the damage, Darren Elkins. When I was speaking to Barry about this one, he was saying that 
he thinks Lamas is going to get the job done just because, you know, old dog and all that. A bit more. He, he has wins over more higher upper echelon guys than uh, Mersad does, but I think Mersad is the younger, hunger dog in this one. And I'm not going to say the same um, fight style as Emmett, but Mersad's a very good wrestler and he does have heavy enough hands, so I think that's good enough to get the job done. So I'm going to say Mersad Bektic. Then you have a very, very highly uh, anticipated matchup in the strawweight division. Claudia Gadella, who me and Barry both think is absolutely gorgeous, is going up against Carlos Barza. Now, this is a strawway fight that probably should have happened years ago, probably back in the Invicta days. Um, Claudia Gadella was seen for years as the second best strawway after Joanna and Jacek. She's only lost Joanna and Jacek and Jessica Andrade. She's beaten uh, Karina Kalkowicz, uh, Jessica Aguilar. All them, many more. Valerie Letourneau. She's beaten some very high-class women. I think Carlos Barza struggles if she can't get the takedown. I don't think she's going to be guaranteed to get the takedown in this fight. So, <coughs> for me, I'm going to pick Claudia. But if Carla does win, she might actually be able to get herself into title talk because she actually does hold a win over Rose and Amunis when they fought initially for the inaugural UFC strawweight championship. So, there you have it. You have Claudia Gadelia. Ever the contender going up against Carlos Barza, the first ever UFC strawweight champion. Now, there was a bit of controversy about the next fight. The next fight is Alex, the Reem, Overeem, um, big favourite of me and Barry's, uh, going up against Curtis Blades. Now, the reason there was controversy over this is as this was originally on the main card. And it got bumped to the co-main event. Or sorry, it got bumped to the main event of the prelims. Now, Alistair Overeem was not very happy about this. But I suppose <laughs> he doesn't really have much of a say considering in his last fight he got the absolute block knocked off him by Francis Ngannou. And he's coming up in this one against possibly the hottest heavyweight prospect in the UFC right now, Curtis Blades. Uh, his only loss is to Ngannou. Uh, all the way back in 2016. Since then, he's gone on and won all his fights. So, for me, I like Blades. I was very impressed with him in his last fight against uh, Mark Hunt. He's a really good wrestler. Really large athlete. <coughs> Looks like he's getting a bit more fluid in striking. And I feel like Overeem's probably just that bit too old at this stage. He must be, what, 38, 39 at this stage, I feel. And... He's not getting younger. I don't think he's getting any better. And I think if anyone's going to knock him off his purchase blades, he's probably the hardest matchup for Overeem, I'd say, in the heavyweight division. Maybe Barr, Miocic, and Nganu. He's probably just next. He's that good. I think he's got it all, to be honest. So now we're going to look at the main card. And I really struggle with this main card just because it starts off with CM Punk versus Mike Jackson. 0-1 versus 0-1. Barry and I had a phone conversation earlier and we were discussing the fights. And Barry actually discussed it perfectly. I'm going to give him all the credit on this one. He said it's like watching Celebrity Deathmatch. And then we, when we thought about it, it actually would have been more 
entertaining. If CM Punk fought in the UFC against another celebrity instead of Mike Jackson, who's an MMA journalist turned pro fighter, he was put in to face. I can't remember if it was Mickey. I think it was Mickey Gall. It was Mickey Gall or Sage Norco. I think it was Mickey Gall on his UFC debut. It was actually. So both these guys, their only professional losses to Mickey Gall. And to be honest, that's the only thing, time I've seen the fight. I've seen them both fight once. They both lost. So I'm going to cheer for CM Punk just because too many people hate him. And I'd like to see him get in there against someone else again, I think. But I'm not too sure who would like to get. Like, <coughs> I'd like to see him go against another celebrity. Like, if they got Wiz Khalifa, I think, is training, or Chris Pratt trains, someone like that, then I'd be interested to see him fight. But I've no interest in seeing him fight someone who I don't know. Just in case I, did, I forgot to give Barry's picks, which I think I did. He also was picking Claudia, and he was picking Curtis Blades, and he was picking CM Punk. And just how any of you who are wondering, I told Barry the fact earlier, and he cringed at it. CM Punk... The CM stand for Chick Magna, which is very, very cringy. But I suppose when you're a professional wrestler, it is a bit of a cringy profession to have at times. So therefore, you have to have something a bit cringy. But I only found that out this week. Then you have another heavyweight. The Battle of the Big Dogs, as Barry likes to call it. Andre Arlovsky fighting Tai Tuivasa. Now, if any of you don't know Tai Tuivasa, you should go look him up because he's... Actually, very, very funny. He beat uh, Cyril Asker at UFC 221, which was in Perth. And after he won, he went to the audience and drank a beer out of some fella's shoe. It's his celebration win. It's called the Shoey, which I personally think is hilarious, yet also disgusting. He's coming up against Andre Arlovsky. He was on another career resurgence. Um... Arlovsky does this every now and then. It's extremely impressive. At one stage, he had a win streak of Brendan Chab, Bigfoot Silva, Travis Brown, Frank Mir. And that was back in 2015 when like those fighters weren't on their that much of a downslide as they are now. And then, if you look at his losses following that, Stipe Miocic, UFC heavyweight champion. Alistair Overeem, the Reem, Josh Barnett, Francis Ngannou. And then Marcin Tabora. He won his last two fights, both by decision. Junior Albany and Stefan Struve. His boxing looks really, really good. However, I don't think Albany and Struve are going to hit as hard as Tai Tuivasa. And they're probably not as young and hungry as him. Tai Tuivasa, between himself and Curtis Blades, very impressive. He's only 25. And he is a big, big boy. He has to cut to make heavyweight. So for me, I'm going to go with my boy, Bam Bam, Tai Tuivasa. Get in there, get it done early, knock out in the first round. I think Barry's thinking something similar. There's not much really else to say about that, you know. Heavyweights, hopefully it's a knockout because that's really what everyone's looking for. Then you have <coughs> a massive ma- matchup in the women's featherweight division, a.k.a. the Cyborg division, a.k.a. the Bantamweights plus Cyborg. Uh, coming up, you have Holly Holm. The Ronda Rousey killer going up against Megan Anderson from Australia, who was the Invicta featherweight champion. So she was basically the featherweight champion 
of the all-female fighting league that the UFC also owns. Look, Holly Holm is 1-4 in her last five fights. She's only got one win, and it's against Betch Kohea. But in fairness, she went the distance against Cyborg. She went the distance against Dranmi. She went the distance against Shevchenko. She went the distance against some of the best fighters in the world. And she only got finished by Misha Tape or Renee Choke. I don't think Megan Anderson's striking game is good enough to get the job done here. I think Holly Holm is technically sounder. I don't even know if Megan Anderson hits harder, but I know Megan Anderson will physically actually be larger. So I think Barry is leading to Megan Anderson. I'm leading towards Holly Holm, but I'll be cheering for Megan Anderson because I want to see a fresh matchup for Cyborg. I'm not really that interested in seeing Holly Holm, Cyborg 2. Although, if Holly Holm does win, maybe she'll call out Amanda Nunes because it's not really too clear of a fight down at Bantamweight for Amanda Nunes. I know Caitlin Vieira is there, but tell me who's clamoring to see Caitlin Vieira versus. Um, the man Nunes not me anyway the fact that I semi forget who the champion's name and contender's name are obviously means that I'm not that interested in the fight moving on to this co-main event we have RDA Rafael Dos Santos versus Colby Chaos Covington now this is a fight that I'm interested in not so much actual fight itself but two fighters who are in it Rafael Dos Santos has looked like an absolute killer since moving up to welterweight. He knocked off Tarek Safadine, Neil Magny, and then Robbie Lawler. Each each performance actually is impressive as the last. He's looked unstoppable at welterweight. <coughs> and I was actually saying to Barry, I don't know whether it's just me, but I feel he's too undersized at welterweight. I just don't see him becoming the champion. But then again, he beat, went to beat Robbie Lawler very decisively. And Robbie Lawler used to be the UFC welterweight champion. So it's very hard to knock uh, Dos Anjos. And then you have Colby Covington. Probably the best active trash, trash talker in the game. I don't really include McGregor in it because he hasn't fought in the UFC in over two years. He is doing the best job I've ever seen at making Everyone hate him. It's extremely impressive. He gives out the spoilers to movies. He like calls Tyrone Tyquel or whatever it is. Uh, he was fighting Maya and he insulted all the Brazilians. He's always insulting Usman. You name it, he's insulted him. He's even gone after John Jones, Fabrice over Doom. He's the ultimate heel, as they call it in wrestling. Everyone hates him. And I'm quite impressed because he's done a good enough job that I want to see him lose. But I actually don't want to see him lose a semi-close decision. I want to see him get absolutely smashed. So, in looking at this fight, me and Barry were a bit torn on it as well. But <coughs> Barry thinks RDA is going to get the job done. Uh, Covington hasn't fought someone as well-rounded as RDA. RDA is brilliant on the feet. He's after moving his camp to Jason Perillo, who's 
absolutely phenomenal boxer. He's very good at the wrestling, and he has great jiu-jitsu skills. Sure, he took down Neil Magny and made Magny look like he's never done jiu-jitsu before in his entire life. But I think Covington is good enough at wrestling that he can control the fight, and he is physically larger. So I'm going to say Covington will be able to take him down, and we're going to be looking at Tyron Woody versus Kobe Covington for the UFC welterweight title. Speaking of welterweights, there was still lots of controversy going on about uh, Darren Till and Wonderboy. Um, I don't know if any of any you follow Darren Till on Instagram, but he was absolutely ruining himself. He was going around on a night out, clearly somewhere in Liverpool after winning, and he was like picking his nose and kept on eating it. He did it about five or six times on his Instagram stories. I, I don't know. Why he thought this was a good idea, but absolute dreadful idea on his behalf. He looked absolutely rotten. I don't know any other way to describe it. I don't know anyone who picks their nose and eats it, but if you do, don't do it on Instagram stories for everyone to see. And maybe just try to give up doing it altogether. So moving on to the main event of the evening. I actually watched Bruce Buffer introduce himself on stage back in New York again before uh, I did the podcast, just to be ready for that one. You have Bobby Nooks, Robert Whitaker, a.k.a. our mate, the Energize crew, going against Yoel, the soldier of God, Romero, in a rematch. Interesting enough, Robert Whitaker's last fight was UFC 213 against Yoel Romero. Since then, Yoel Romero has gone on to knock out Luke Rockhold and then hold him up against the cage and try and kiss him and tell him he loves him. Yo Romero is probably the most scariest man in the UFC middleweight division. Absolutely frightening freak athlete. If you look at his body and then find out he's 41, you're, you're just saying, what? You're convinced he's on the juice, but he's never actually been caught for it. Apparently Cubans have very good genetics. Then you have Robert Whitaker, who's... Doesn't really say a lot, but he lets his fight and do the talking for him. Whitaker is actually undefeated in the UFC at middleweight. He's won all the fights. He's beaten Brad Tavares, Uriah Hall, Derek Brunson, Jack Rysouza, and then beat Yo Romero to win the belt. He was actually saying he was glad during the week that he didn't have to fight Bisbing because he actually looked up to Bisbing uh, when he was growing up in the sport. So, you know what? Fair play to Whitaker. With a very sort of humble approach to take to it. Because I would have really fancied Whitaker to be able to be busy. Looking at this rematch. And then I rewatched the first fight. And the first fight. Romero hit Whitaker with some very good low kicks in the first round. And it sort of st- stumped him for the first two rounds. But Whitaker's corner was very good. And telling him, here look, this is a championship fight. You're just going to forget about your legs. Sore and just get on with it. And we'll deal with that afterwards. And once he started to do that, he put on an absolute phenomenal performance. He came out, great movement. I don't I don't even I don't even know what more to say about it. If you haven't seen the fight, it's very hard to describe to you, but he got in out, no bother. He's brilliant on the feet, his movement's incredible, he's very fast, he's very agile. Sure, he's been down at 170 before. He's not the biggest of middleweights. Great cardio. Phenomenal performance turned in by Robert Whitaker. 
Yoel Romero, great performance as well. Uh, first few rounds, definitely won them. And then his gas tank sort of goes. But he's, he's a very strange person with his gas tank because his gas tank does go, but he's also dangerous right up until the very last moment. For example, he knocked out Chris Wyman in the third round. He knocked out Tim Kennedy in the third round. He's knocked out Derek Brunson in the third round. He knocked, or sorry, I was going to say he knocked out uh, Chris Wyman, but I already said that. Very me. Uh, but that flying knee was absolutely vicious. He has like this knockout power all the way into the deeper rounds. He's the most explosive athlete I think the UFC has. And I'm not going to rule him out, but at the end of the day, I have to pick a winner. And for me, the winner is going to be Robert Whitaker. Why? Because he's our mate and enjoys mate. And also, I think when a younger athlete faces an older athlete and the younger athlete wins, when the younger athlete faces the older athlete again for a second time, I think he wins, except this time around, easier. So I think Whitaker is actually going to finish him in the later rounds this time. That's just my opinion. Whitaker's been off for a while. Since July 2017. Nearly a full year, but... That's just my take on it. Other than that, I'm just going to round up with some other random mixed martial arts news. Uh, Yair Rodriguez is back in the UFC. He's going to be fighting against Zabit at UFC, what was it, I think 218, sometime in October, I think, maybe, or September. So Yair is back. He's fighting Zabit. Good to see Yair back because I wouldn't really like to lose him. Uh, he's very... Hot prospect coming up, so glad to have a year back. Uh, Ryan Bader has been brought in by Steve Mioch to help him to prepare for UFC 226 against Daniel Cormier. So, some big recruiting in there by uh, Steve. And Ryan Bader is very hot at the moment. He also probably weighs very similar weights to DC. He's also a very good wrestler. So, great call by Steve Mioch there. And also, there was bare knuckle fighting on Wyoming over the weekend. I actually caught a bit of it. Wasn't over impressed by it. It actually did look a bit thuggish. It looked sort of like people were pulled in from the crowd fight. Even though they weren't. And I actually knew a lot of them. For me. It was like too violent and too bloody. And I wasn't enticed by it. So. Maybe they won't do any more of it. I think that sort of wraps up the show. If you did enjoy the show, show some love, tell a friend, give us a shout out on Instagram stories, give us some of those reviews, hard on SoundCloud, five stars on iTunes, you know the stuff. And guys, as always, stay energised. <laughs>